We're calling this message this morning, The Woeful World of Worry, which is a tongue twister, I'll admit, and it was done by design, because worry will do that to you. It just twists you up. The word worry in English comes from a German word, Vergen, or we would say Wurgen, which means to choke or to strain. In the Greek language, it means to tear or to rip. The text that we want to look at this morning is in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, where Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I got on the Internet, and I typed in the word worry, and I got back 1,200,000 hits. (laughs) I found some institutes on worrying. I found chat rooms. I found bulletin boards. And one uh, particular website that stuck out to me was a website called Addicted to Worrying. Addicted to Worrying. What it was was a bulletin board, basically, where people share their woes, their worries, their troubles, and I guess it normalizes it for them as they're able to read what bothers, what worries other people. So I have a sampling of this Internet site called Addicted to Worrying. Here's a few of the emails. One person emailed, I worry that when my coworkers get a lottery pool going and I don't join in, that we'll win and everyone will quit and I'll have to do all this work by myself. Another wrote in, I worry that when I'm ice skating, I will fall and another skater will pass by and the blade of his skates will slice off my fingers. Okay. Here's one. 
I worry that my cat will sit on my face while I'm sleeping and I'll suffocate. (laughs) Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? Another wrote, I worry that there are spiders and bugs in my bed and they will crawl all over me and get into my nose and my mouth and my ears. This one I can relate to. I worry that one day they will stop making chocolate and I will starve to death. (laughs) I worry that exact same thing. I don't think there's any greater emotional tyrant in our society than worry. How many times have you heard of or read the word stress in the last decade or 15 years? It's everywhere. And you see it on so many people's faces. You see it on the freeways. You see it as you walk down the streets and on the street corners, in the malls, as people are shopping. Worries etched on their faces. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety is the most frequently reported mental health problem. And this study reported that 13 million Americans spend the better part of their day worried. You say, well, what are we worried about? According to U.S. News and World Report, most people, when it comes to non-personal issues, are worried about violence, drugs, inflation, famine elsewhere in the world, threats of war, and of course, high on the list, terrorism. On a personal level, the same study reported We worry that we're wasting too much time, that we don't read enough, that we don't attend church enough. We worry about overeating, and we worry about overspending. This morning, in this paragraph that we're going to look at, Jesus tells us not to worry. And and he says that this kind of anxiety, this kind of stress, is both unwarranted for a child of God and unnecessary for a child of God. It's unwarranted because he says not to do it. And it's unnecessary for a few reasons that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that three times in our text, Jesus gives us a command, do not worry. It's found in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Verse 31, therefore, do not worry. And in verse 34, therefore, do not worry. That's a commandment, not a suggestion. And the original language is even more direct. It indicates there is an action already going on that Jesus says, stop doing what you're doing. The Amplified Bible renders it, stop being perpetually uneasy, that is, anxious and worried about your life. In our text, we see the word worry. That's sort of the kingpin, fulcrum text, word, worry. It's mentioned three times in our text, but the word in the original language appears 19 times in the New Testament. Now, let me tell you what it means and what it is in the original. The original Greek term for worry is the word merimnao, which comes from a combination of two words that are very picturesque. Merizo, which means to rip or to tear, and the word nos, which means the mind. 
You put it together, worry literally means to tear the mind. And that's what worry, it's like a two-headed monster, isn't it? It takes you in two different directions. James said the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's worry. So there is the command. Worry is unwarranted for a child of God. Do not worry. Now having said that, don't read between the lines and think that Jesus is saying, be lazy, kick back, don't get involved. Don't exert yourself. Because a lot of people would say, ah, don't worry about it. Like, let me just skate. Well, that can't be what he means because Jesus uses the illustration of birds. And birds are very industrious. Birds don't open their beaks in the morning, pointed toward heaven, expecting God to drop a worm in. We even have a saying, don't we? The early bird catches the worm. They're very industrious. But what it does mean when Jesus gives this command, is an anxious over-concern that can rip at our minds and our hearts. An anxious over-concern that will strangle you. And again, the illustration is classic. He says, look at the birds of the air, which is something you ought to do from time to time. Actually, spend some time looking for a bird, and, and I challenge you, Find a worried bird. Have you ever seen one? You ever seen one sweating, worried, drops its little beak in its claws like, Honey, I don't know if we can pay the the rent on the nest this month. No, they sing, don't they? There's joy. You never see one worried. I agree with the pundit who said, Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. There was some studies done at the University of Wisconsin. And the studies said that 40% of the things we worry about as people never happen. 40% never happen. Same study said 30% are worries over our past that you can't change anyway. 12% are worries about other people's criticisms toward us that are often untrue. 10% are worries over our own health, which last time I checked won't be helped by worry, but actually is detrimental to your health. Only 8%, this study said, are legitimate worries and fears. Only Of all the things you worry about, only 8% are worth it. The other stuff isn't. Here's a few more things to throw in the mix. A British clinic examined 500 patients. They discovered a third of all the visual problems presented in the studies were directly related to stress. A third of the visual problems directly related to worry and stress. Dr. Leonard Fosdick from Northwestern University did his own studies and said stress, anxiety, worry restricts the flow of saliva in the mouth so that the natural acids are not neutralized and tooth decay goes up. Another independent study of 5,000 students from 21 different universities showed that worriers get lower grades. And study after study, medical research after medical research have shown that worry breaks down our resistance to disease. 
So you put all of that together, and I guess it means if you want to be a blind, diseased, flunky with no teeth, (laughs) then worry yourself silly. Worry is unwarranted for a child of God. Do not worry. The second thing, and we want to spend a little more time on this, is worry is unnecessary for a follower of Christ. And Jesus tells us why. What I love about the way Jesus teaches, he doesn't just toss out a command and walk away from it. He gives you legitimate reasons why not to worry. Remember that song a few years ago by Bobby McFerrin? In every life there is some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. So don't worry. Be happy. It's a great little tune, but it really gives you no help, no solutions. Jesus tells you why not to worry, and there's three of them in our text. Because you're slaves and God is your master. Because you're sons and God is your father. And because you're servants and God is your ruler. Now go back and look... uh, at verse 25. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. You know, one of the problems we have in reading the Bible so often is we neglect important words, important transitions, like in this verse. Therefore. And there's a a little rule we have now around here. Whenever there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. You don't just begin a thought. You don't walk up to someone and go, Therefore... It means you've said something first and you're referring to what you said. And so we read this and unfortunately we separate it contextually from what went before and we can't do that. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry, refers to the previous verse. Let's look at it. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore... I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, I want to be your master, Jesus is saying. And that relationship of bond slave to master makes worrying unnecessary. If you're a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got nothing to worry about. Now, that relationship, master, bond slave, implies a few things. Number one, it implies God owns everything. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns everyone. God owns everything because he created everyone and everything. And God owns you if you're a Christian Not just because he created you, but because he bought you with blood. You're redeemed. You're owned by virtue of redemption, not just creation. You may have heard the story of the little boy who made a gingerbread man, and the gingerbread man ran away and uh, couldn't find it, searched all over town for it. Finally, he looked inside the shop of a bakery, and there was his gingerbread man, except it had a little sign on it, 25 cents. And he ran into the store and he said, excuse me, sir, that's my gingerbread man. Oh, really? Well, it'll cost you 25 cents to get it. Oh, you don't understand. I made it. It's mine. I created it. It's going to cost you 25 cents. Well, they argued back and forth. And finally, the boy gave the quarter, walked out of the store with the gingerbread man he had made, took it home and smashed it. No, I'm just kidding. Didn't do that. 
but he could have. He said, you're mine because I made you. And now you're mine again because I bought you. And God could say that to you. You're mine because I made you, but you ran away from me. Now you're mine because I bought you. So when we say, you know, I've got nothing to worry about because God is my master. I'm his bond slave. We realize God owns everything. Thus, when he gives you something, you rejoice. When he takes something away, you rejoice because it was his anyway. Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A man ran up to John Wesley once and said, your house burned down. Wesley said, I don't have a house. The one I was living in belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's burned down, it's one less thing for me to worry about. Wow. God is my master. He owns everything. It implies something else. If God is my master, he'll provide everything. You see, there was a relationship 2,000 years ago between slaves and owners. We think of slaves and we think of American slavery. I want you to go back and think of the times of the Romans and the Greeks. In those days, though a slave was owned by a master, the master was responsible to provide every need of the slave and his family. And would you notice in verse 25, the most basic needs are mentioned. What you eat, what you drink, and what you put on. All of those things masters had to provide for their slaves. God will provide for you. Now, I'll tell you this. You may not have steak and lobster for dinner every night of the week. It might not be gourmet. It might not be the best of the best. But I will guarantee you, none of you will starve to death this week. God will take care of you. And let me press it just a little further. Don't you think worrying is an insult to God As the provider, it's like saying, you can't do it, can you? If he's the master, let him be the master. Did you hear about the worry wart? He he worried so much that his friends made fun of him because he everywhere he went, his face was scowling, his his countenance was down and his friends used to make him the laughingstock of all their jokes. So one day, just as a joke. Their friend said, uh, hey, Fred, you know, you worry so much, you ought to just hire somebody to worry for you. Well, they saw him two weeks later, and Fred was smiling and whistling. They said, Fred, what's up? He said, well, I I took your advice, and I I hired somebody to to, uh, worry for me. I'm not worried anymore. They said, you're kidding, right? No, serious, I'm not worried at all. Well, uh, Fred, uh, what are you paying this guy? I'm paying him 100000 a year. Well, well Fred, you don't even make 50000 a year. How are you going to pay a guy 100000 a year to worry for? He said, I don't know. That's his worry. <laughs> you ever thought about it? Let God worry about you. If you belong to him anyway, if you're his property, it's his worry then, isn't it? I can't pay rent. Well, it's his worry. Oh, I got this problem. Well, let him worry about it. So God is your master implies God owns everything. God will provide everything. And it implies God controls everything. Because your master, listen carefully, your master 
is sovereign God. He's in control. He is sovereign God. Nothing will give you a greater sense of confidence than realizing that your master won't allow anything at all to come into your life unless he pre-approves it. Why did this happen to me? God approved it, that's why. He knows what you need. He allowed it and he's letting you have it now. Acts chapter 12. You don't have to turn there, but let me remind you of a story. You know him well. His name is Peter. Peter's the guy that takes everything in control, right? He wants control of all things. Uh, In the garden, when they tried to arrest Jesus, he pulls out the sword and starts chopping ears off because he's going to be in control and defend God. But in Acts chapter 12, we see a different Peter. Peter's in prison, chained between two soldiers. The next day, he's going to face death. And you know what Peter's doing? Sleeping. I mean, he's really sawing logs. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, he's sleeping so soundly, it says, an angel of the Lord came in and struck Peter and said, get up. That's how sound the guy, he's snoring. You're going to die tomorrow, Peter. Why? Something changed. Peter has learned to cast all of his cares truly upon God because God, as his owner, master, cares for him. By the way, there's a corollary text to this that we just read. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. Another command is given and then reasons. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Did you hear what he said? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Everything? Everything. What does everything mean in Greek? It means everything. Everything. Well, this is such a little thing. I don't want to bother God. I'll wait till it becomes a real big thing. No. If you took all the little things to God, they wouldn't become big things. A woman came to G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher from London, and she said, Dr. Morgan, do you think God minds if we bring even the little things before him? And in his characteristically classic British manner, he said, Madam, can you think of anything in your mind that is actually big to God? It's not at all big to him. So let God be the master. No man can serve two masters. Therefore, Jesus is saying, you got nothing to worry about. I'm your master. There's a second reason it's unnecessary. Because you're sons and God is your father. Sons and daughters. Sons, I mean generically. And God is your father. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I don't know if you notice this point that has been mentioned a couple times in our text. When he refers to flowers and birds, he talks about God. When he talks about your relationship to God, it's your heavenly Father. Okay, here's flowers and here's birds, and God provides for them. So if God provides for them, your heavenly Father will provide for you. See, he's not their heavenly Father. He's their God. He's their Creator. You never see a bird go, Heavenly Father, because he's not. He's their God, but he's your Heavenly Father. In the biosphere, God is the Creator, made so many wonderful things, and birds sing, but he's your dad. He's your Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Heavenly Father never gave birds promises of everlasting life. The Heavenly Father never created birds in the image of God. The Heavenly Father never recreated birds in the image of Christ in a new birth. The Heavenly Father never made the kind of promises to them that He makes to us. So we have a relationship, which is the huge separation. We have a relationship. Like that poem, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So it's unnecessary because God is the master and you're a servant, because God is the father and you're his child. And there's a third reason, verse 33 and 34, because you're servants and God is the ruler. Now before we get into that, I want you to notice two questions in verse 27 and 28, that make application to your life. Here's the first question. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit, that's 18 inches, to his stature? Can you imagine somebody short? I'm not going to pick on anybody. Saying, I wish I was taller, I wish I was taller. Well, will it help if you worry about it? Or as other translations render it, which of you, by worrying, could add one moment to his life? You know... We live in a culture that is making youth the god, the idol. Look and be youthful. Add a moment, a year, uh, a two, uh, a, a month to your life. And so we worry about every sag and every wrinkle. And youth, we want to preserve it. Why worry about it? You're going to lose eventually. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. Worrying about these things only makes it worse physically. Charles Mayo, founder of the Mayo Clinic, wrote, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I've known lots who have died from worry. So there's the first applicational question. 
why do you do it? You can't add any height or length to your life. Second question, verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Good question. Ask yourself that question next time you're in the store. Why do you worry about clothing? He he points to flowers. Flowers that have such a short lifespan, they bloom for three or four days over in Israel. The sun comes out, they're burned, they harvest them, throw them in the bread ovens to make kindling for their food. So it's a powerful argument. These flowers, as beautiful as they are, are temporary. You, on the other hand, are made for eternity. You're going to live forever. So if God does that to something so temporary, what are you worried about since you were made for eternity? Hey, test your memory. What were you worried about one year ago today? Well, I don't remember. Yeah, that's the point. God takes care of them, flowers. God takes care of them, birds. Your heavenly Father is going to take care of you. There's that third reason, and we close with it, because your servants and God is your ruler. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, again, there's a little word here. Don't pass it over. The word but. It's a connective word. It's a word of contrast. It's as if Jesus is saying, rather than doing that, do this. Don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have now a partial solution to the stress, anxiety, and worry that piles up in our lives. What do we do? Instead of all of the energy going there, redirect your energy to the kingdom of God. I'll put it this way. Don't worry. Work. Don't worry about your own kingdom. Work for his kingdom and let God add everything you need for your kingdom. Seek his and he'll give you what you need. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Now, I say it's a partial solution because the other part of the mix is prayer and supplication. Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I found something you might be interested in. It's called the recipe for a miserable life. Ready? You want to know what it is? You want to know how to be miserable? I see. You say no. Well, uh, let me read it to you, and you'll probably think, I know people who live there. Recipe for a miserable life. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinions of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. (laughs) Good luck. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown to them. Never forget a service that you may have rendered. Be on the lookout for a good time for yourself. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. Love yourself supremely and be selfish. You do that and you will be miserable. 
If, on the other hand, you seek first the kingdom of God, if you're saying, rather than worry, I'm going to work for God, you're going to find lots of joy, lots of excitement, and everything you need will be taken care of. That's what Jesus promises. I want to close by giving you a few tips for preventing anxiety. Just a few tips for preventing anxiety. Number one, cultivate an awareness of the presence of God. Cultivate an awareness of the presence of God. I know that you know God's everywhere all the time. (laughs) He is. But learn to cultivate an awareness that he is. God's here right now in this trial, in this burden that I face. God's here. Number two, condition yourself to relax because God is master, father, and ruler. If God is master, heavenly father, supreme ruler, relax. Number three, replace your worry with specific prayer. Number one, in everything by prayer and supplication. I saw a plaque in an office said, why pray when you can worry? The Bible would say, why worry when you can pray? Number four, determine to obey God no matter what. That's where you seek his kingdom first. I'm going to do what God wants no matter what I feel, no matter what I find out is his will. I'm going to do that first. And number five, and here's your homework assignment for this day, this week. Go take a walk and find some birds and look at them. And find some flowers and study them. Take a walk and look around and see if you can find worried birds, fretting flowers. Dr. George McCausland was his name. He was director of the YMCA, Western Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. Stressed out individual. Found himself working 85 hours a week because there were problems at the YMCA. Membership was going down. Finances were going down. He wasn't getting sleep. And he went in for counseling. And his counselor said, George, you're looking at a nervous breakdown if you don't somehow learn to give your problems to God. He didn't know how to do it, though. It was good advice, but he just couldn't do it. Well, George took a walk one afternoon with a pencil and a pad of paper, took a long walk out in the woods, and the longer he walked, he felt the stress leaving his shoulders. He felt more relaxed, and he sat down under a tree to write this letter to God. Dear God, I hereby resign as executive director of the universe. (laughs) Signed, George. And he writes, wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. (laughs) Can't you see God going, I've been waiting for you to do that for a long time. Last week I was in New York City and I looked up at that huge statue of Atlas holding the world on his shoulders and I thought, I wouldn't want that job for all the money in the world. Too many people live like that. I got the world on my shoulders. Get rid of it. Right across the street, St. Patrick's Cathedral shows a picture of Jesus holding the world like this in his hand. That's how I want to live. You want to live like this or like this? Oh, but you don't know how big my world and my problems are. Yeah, but he does. So let him hold them.
Heavenly Father, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to say that to you, the God of the universe. Heavenly Father, we come to you as children, men and women, but little children in their Father's care who knows everything we need before we ask. And you, Lord, as God, tell us not to worry. It's unwarranted. It's unnecessary. If you're our master and if you're our father and if as servants you're the ruler, I pray, Lord, that rather than worry, we would shift our energy, direct our energies to the kingdom of God and that more and more our lives would reflect a real concern for people's eternity. We would look at people, men and women, and wonder, are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? Would my life make a difference in their lives? How could I further the kingdom? I pray that those truths would be translated in the decisions we make and in the lives we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.